some legends up there to start. Um, yeah, so today's message is honor the emperor. First one there is Emperor Nero, followed by Emperor Palpatine, that's from Star Wars. He's the emperor of the universe. A couple of modern day leaders uh, that create some opinions. So, don't worry, we're actually not even going to talk about any of those guys, uh, but just uh, just a little introduction. So, um, where we are actually is in First Peter. Or, oh, that's a mistake. We're in First Peter, not Second Peter. It's chapter two, but it's chapter two, yes, but the, it's actually should be First Peter, chapter two. We are going through First Peter, and uh, last week Paul uh, uh, started us off in chapter two. And by way of review, I want to just read um, a few verses, verse, chapter 2, verses 4 to 9. So you can go ahead to the next, uh, next slide. And uh, let me just read a, a few verses and then look at a few points uh, before we, we go on. So starting from verse 4. As you come to him, a living stone rejected by men, but in the sight of God, chosen and precious. You yourselves, like living stones, are being built up as a spiritual house to be a holy priesthood, to offer spiritual sacrifices acceptable to God through Jesus Christ. For it stands in Scripture, Behold, I am laying in Zion a stone, a cornerstone chosen and precious, and whoever believes in him will not be put to shame. So the honor is for you who believe, but for those who do not believe, the stone that the builders rejected has become the cornerstone and a stone of stumbling, and a rock of offense. They stumble because they disobey the word, as they were destined to do. Verse 9, But you are a chosen race, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, a people for his own possession, that you may proclaim the excellencies of him who called you out of darkness into his marvelous light. And Paul also read a few more verses, but we're not going to review those at the moment. So some ideas that we got from this passage, and Paul talked about this last week, um, that Christ is described as a, as, a, as a cornerstone, a precious, a precious cornerstone. And Paul talked about how that cornerstone is, is, a, is the, the most important stone of a building. It's the foundation stone of a building, especially the way ancient buildings were built. And, but not only that, it's also a living stone. So it's a very strange idea. And we wonder, where, where does this idea come from? We might get a clue a bit later, but a living stone. So it's not just any old stone, it's a living stone. It was rejected by men. Um, there's a lot of meaning to that uh, scripturally, but one way we can look at it is it, it does not belong in the world built by mankind. It does not belong in the world. Um, it, is, it is something different from the, the, the construction materials, the cornerstones, the mundane things that might build our human institutions. Rejected by men. He also says that we are living stones. So we as Christians, as followers of Christ, and we are living stones, we are being built up into a spiritual house. Um, so again, it's not just static stones, but we are living stones. And then he goes on and says that we are a chosen race, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, a people for God's own possession, so that we can proclaim the excellencies of God. That's our purpose. So that we can do it. Elsewhere in Scripture, it says we are a nation. It says we are rulers. It says we are judges. And these are, these are political ideas. You know, these are ideas that talk about um, uh, uh, a purpose for a whole group of people, for a nation. 
There's strong political element to our identity as Christ's body, the very people of God. But our politics are different from the world around us. Our kingdom is not built from normal mundane materials, but rather our kingdom is built, God's kingdom is built, the one that we inherit, our kingdom, is built from something different, described here as living stones. And so our kingdom, our politics, and the purpose is all different from the politics of the world around us. Our purpose is to proclaim, in this passage as it's described, to proclaim the excellencies of God. And uh, it's, it's not so that we can institute the, you know, the perfect and the exact laws for the people of our society. It's not so that we legislate how everyone um, in society should act and maybe force them to do it because that is the one and only right way. But rather it is to proclaim God's excellencies. And so this is done in many different ways. It's done both in words, of course, our deeds, our ongoing deeds, the way we live our lives uh, on, on a regular basis, not just the odd good deed here and there, but our ongoing deeds in our relationships. It's also done in suffering, particularly unjust suffering. This is a big topic in the book of First Peter that we're going to hear more about in the weeks to come. Um, but suffering, uh, and it's done, of course, through the many types of relationships, relationships that we have in both our lives, in, uh, sorry, in our lives both individually and as a community. Um, so again, those are the way, some ways that we proclaim God's excellencies. So that's like a bit of a snapshot of what we're going to talk about, unpack a little more today. Those is just a an introduction. So with that introduction kind of as a background, um, I thought we'll take a look, look at the next few verses uh, in 1 Peter and explore these ideas today. So looks like I got it right there. 1 Peter, yes, chapter 2. Okay, so this is our main passage for today. It's a shorter one, but we do have some other scripture we're going to look at. Let me read it for you. <clears throat> you can read along. Be subject for the Lord's sake to every human institution whether it be the emperor as supreme or to governors as sent by him to punish those who do evil and to praise those who do good. For this is the will of God, that by doing good, you should put to silence the ignorance of foolish people. Live as people who are free, not using your freedom as a cover-up for evil, but living as servants of God. Honor everyone, love the brotherhood, fear God, honor the emperor. Okay, so this, this, these verses come right after the previous ones about uh, living stones and then holy nation, royal priesthood, right? So right after that previous section, we get all jazzed up. We're like, yeah, we're, we're a holy, holy nation. We're, we're a priesthood. We're, we get all, we may start, may start feel all political, maybe militant even. Like, yes, yes, this is such a greatness that we have. Peter brings us right back to context, right back to reality. And he, he, he starts the, the next section with this clear separation, the separation. Do you see the contrast between the spiritual house built of living stones and then every human institution? There is a difference between human institutions and this kingdom that, that the Lord uh, is building. And, um, and so he's, and he makes it it's very clear that we should not get them confused because he immediately, after talking about how great of a nation, all that wonderful stuff, he immediately goes back and then says, but be subject, be underneath every human institution. I love how he says it this way, whether it be the emperor as supreme. In those days, they had emperor, the emperor. In fact, there's some people, love, there's, some, there's a kind of like a, uh, a strain of Christian thought that thinks so much of what the New Testament was written is putting up Jesus as a, the alternative to kind of Caesar. I think it's a misguided idea. Here, 
the, the primary, his primary point is human institutions. And it might, that might happen to be seized emperor, that might happen to be his governors, but the point is be subject for the Lord's sake to every human institution. Um, and like I said, they, ultimately they have the emperor as their ruler, so in the end he does say honor the emperor. But it's a deeper thing that he's talking about. It's not just, it's not just a matter of honoring that particular guy, right? It's, 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 it's the institution. Paul, the Apostle Paul, also shares a very similar idea. This is an idea we see in the New Testament a few places. So you can read about that in Romans chapter 13, verses 1 to 7. This is just the first verse, just to give you a... But let every person be subject to the governing authorities. For there is no authority except from God, and those that exist have been instituted by God. So that's just to show you that this is, a, this is not just a one-off kind of statement we find somewhere. It's an idea. And so for us today... It does mean, it means honoring our government. It means honoring our leaders, our MPs, our prime ministers, our police. Well, Peter says honoring every, or be subject to every human institution. And this does not conflict with our, with our purpose of proclaiming the ex excellencies of God as, as, as a, a spiritual house, as a far greater kingdom, as we will, we we're going to see shortly. So there is obviously a role for government, uh, it is important, and it is also important that we don't confuse or conflate um, the difference between uh, the politics of this world and, um, I guess, what you could call politics, uh, spiritual politics, or, or something like that. So, I've got a very important uh, skit. It's only about, or a very important um, movie here. It's only about a minute, uh, and it might make make a point, help make make a point. So. They let us wipe fast. They take everything we had, and not just from us. From our fathers, and from our fathers' fathers. And from our fathers. They let us wild fast. They take everything we had. And not just from us, from our fathers, and from our fathers' fathers. And from our fathers' fathers' fathers. Yeah. And from our fathers' 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 fathers. Yours, don't labor the point. And what have they ever given us in return? The aqueduct? What? The aqueduct? Oh, yeah, yeah, they did give us that. Uh, that's true, yeah. And the sanitation. Oh, yeah, the sanitation, man. Do you remember what the city used to be like? Yeah, all right, I'll grant you, the aqueduct, the sanitation, the two things the Romans had done. And the roads. Well, yeah, obviously yeah. the roads. I mean, the roads go without sand, don't they? But apart from the sanitation, the aqueduct, and the roads... Irrigation. Medicine. Huh? Education. Oh, yeah. yeah, yeah, all right, fair enough. And the wine. Oh, yeah. Yeah. yeah, yeah, that's something we've really missed, Reg, the Romans left. <laughs> Public baths. And it's safe to walk in the streets at night now, Reg. Yeah, they certainly know how to keep order. Let's face it, the only ones who could in a place like this. <laughs> <laughs> All right, but apart from the sanitation, the medicine, education, wine, public order, irrigation, roads, a fresh water system and public health, what have the Romans ever done for us? Brought peace? Oh, peace! Shut up! <laughs> could you it was muffled could you guys hear that you probably know the skit anyways but it's what have the romans ever done for us right and they start naming all these things and uh right oh fine except for public health and the roads and and medicine and education blah blah, blah. what have they ever done for us? so the point is i mean government's important it plays an important role and uh it's a funny skit obviously i mean and again obviously it's 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 a it's a hilarious ridiculous skit um 
just as disclaimer, the Romans was definitely a very harsh empire. Even all those benefits they listed really would have only applied to very few member, elite members of the population. But nonetheless, it's a hilarious skit, and it does make a point that governments are important. Um, you know, they take care of doing the mundane thing. A lot of these, what we might call, well, in, certainly in comparison to the, the, you know, the spiritual things, the mundane things that a society may want or need, like roads, healthcare, etc. I'll also say that note: there's nowhere in the New Testament um, that suggests that uh, you know we as Christians should be trying to go into politics and to impose um, moral, religious, or certain ritual changes in society at the political level. So, for example, try to legislate or mandate rules that, that in some way is going to cause people to live in a, like, like a, a more holy way or, or be closer to God or something like that. Um, God's kingdom is not something that is enforced uh, by violence or coercement in any way, full stop. Because we have to remember, ultimately, it is violence that enforces the rules, even in today's society, right? We're obviously a civil, civilized and not violent society here in Canada, but if I just say I'm not paying my taxes, I take my money out of my bank account, keep it under my bed, and just say, no, I'm not paying my taxes, I'm not paying my taxes, eventually somebody shows up to my door, and they say, you need to come with us. I say, I'm not coming with you, I'm going to go sit on my couch. Eventually they come and physically take me off the couch. So ultimately, and we all accept it, it's not like it's a horrible thing, it's part of who what we are, but ultimately it is kind of violence, it is coercement that forces us to follow the rules, and it, 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 it's a fine thing. But I strongly believe that God's kingdom is not, uh, whoa, yeah, now, um, yeah, should I start from the beginning? Was, you guys didn't hear any of that? No, I'm, I just, that was a joke, okay. Uh, <laughs> um, yeah, so, uh, you know, a kingdom built from living stones, a kingdom that is built from living stones is not legislated into existence, and it is not propagated that way either. There's a great book that covers this topic. It's called The Old Testament, and, uh, and so you can look into that. Um, yeah, so, uh, and so this brings us to our, the final scriptural story I'd like to share this morning. Uh, this story is one of my favorites. Now, I noticed when I was writing this out, I say that a lot. I seem to always be saying this is my, this is kind of like my favorite. It reminds me of like my kids when they were small. You ask, well, who's your favorite character in the movie? They're all my favorite. That's what kids always say. They're all my favorite, right? So um, I thought, yeah, I know it sometimes sounds like that, but I guess, hey, if we approach God's word as like a, with a childlike uh, attitude and maybe that's a good thing so i stand by my i stand by my claim this is one of my favorite uh images and stories in the old testament um this is a story we're going to look at a short uh a short story from the book of daniel which is an old testament story so the daniel lived or at least the, the story takes place up roughly very roughly around 500 years before jesus uh Daniel served as a wise man to the king of Babylon, Nebuchadnezzar. You say, well, why was he in Babylon? Why wasn't he in Israel? Well, Israel was conquered at this time. This was during the exile. They had been, they, Jerusalem had been completely destroyed by the Babylonians. So this is before they eventually get back into the, into the land. So this is during the time of the exile, um, Israel or Judah's exile. Um, the book of Daniel, and so the book of Daniel tells us, yeah, and so Daniel was serving as a wise man for the, the Babylonian king Nebuchadnezzar. And the book of Daniel tells us a lot of different stories about Daniel. Um, perhaps they are stories from the original time, or they might have been written a few hundred years later. There's a lot of discussion about that uh, in, in people who study this stuff. It doesn't really, it, it does not matter, trust me. Uh, and this, and one, things that, one of the things that Daniel does 
uh, as interprets dreams. And one of these dreams includes a very large uh, image or st statue. A lot of people think of it as a statue. And um, yeah, so I'm going to read that for you if you want to go to the next slide. So there's, there's some preamble to the story. It's Daniel chapter 2 if you want to read it on your own. There's some drama. Nebuchadnezzar has the dream. There's, there's more to the story. I'm just going to, today we're just going to look at the actual, when, when Daniel tells Nebuchadnezzar the dream, when they talk about what the actual dream was. Daniel says, You saw, O king, and behold, a great image. This image, mighty and of exceeding brightness, stood before you, and its appearance was frightening. The head of this image was of fine gold, its chest of arms, its chest arm, uh, sorry, its chest and arms of silver, its middle and thighs of bronze, its legs iron, and its feet partly of iron and partly of clay. As you looked, a stone was cut out by no human hand. A stone was cut out by no human hand. And it struck the image on its feet of iron and clay and broke them in pieces. And then the iron, the clay, the bronze, the silver, the gold, all together were broken in pieces and became like the chaff of the summer threshing floors and the wind carried them away so that not a trace of them could be found. But the stone that struck the image became a great mountain and filled the whole earth. So again, this is written, the story takes place 500 years before Jesus, absolute minimum, the absolute latest it could have possibly been written is maybe 200 years before Jesus. Uh, and it, it's an incredible image. If we go to the next slide, um, then you can read on the interpretation. I'm not going to read it from the Bible. I'm just going to, just to save some time, uh, I'm going to just explain the, uh, the interpretation of it. And we're going to read that passage in a bit, so that, just, just hold off on the side there. But here we've got like the picture of this image, the statue. At the top, it's a gold head, and then silver, bronze, iron. So the different metals in the interpretation, they represent different kingdoms of the world. So the gold head is, is, is Babylon. It's kind of like King Nebuchadnezzar. The, the guy who, that's the guy who had the dream, the king, that Daniel was, was, was working for and was helping in this regard. That's his kingdom. And Daniel says, after your kingdom will come another kingdom, and that's represented by the silver. And then time will pass, and after that kingdom comes another kingdom made of bronze. And after that kingdom will come another kingdom of iron. And then there's also the feet, iron, and clay. So the idea is that it's at these, these different kingdoms. Now, in history, this happened. We had the Babylonians, Babylonian king followed by uh, the Persians and the Medes. The Persians are the ones who let Israel go back. Uh, and then after that, which this is outside the scope of the Bible now, is the bronze kingdom, which is with the Greeks, Alexander the Great. And then the iron legs um, could, could represent the Roman Empire. And, and, you know, again, there's a lot of talk about exactly which empires. There's different opinions on which empires they might correlate to, but it doesn't really matter. The point remains that each one represents different empire. But then something very different happens during the time of the iron legs. Something very different happens. And this is what he says. And in the, this is the end of the interpretation. So in the days of those kings, the iron, the iron leg, the final ones, in the days of those kings, the God of heaven will set up a kingdom that shall never be destroyed, nor shall the kingdom be left to another people. It shall break in pieces all these kingdoms and bring them to an end, and it shall stand forever, just as you saw that a stone was cut from a mountain by no human hand, and that it broke in pieces the iron, the bronze, the clay, the silver, and the gold. 
And so we do see some similar ideas to what we see in, in Peter. Do you guys see some of the connections? A strange living stone. Well, how do you know it's living? Well, you know, at first it starts small and smashes everything, and then it grows into a mountain that fills the whole earth. You know, the kingdoms of the world that conquer each other, these ones up here, they're all very similar in the end to each other. They're different versions of the same thing. This is a statue. It's made by human hands, human ideas, human endeavors. It's founded using, you know, war or coercion, manipulation, or politicking, right? And these, these empires, they, they conquer each other, you know, or they vote each other out. You could almost just change those colors into the different colors of our modern-day political parties, right? But God's kingdom is a completely different category. God's kingdom is not another statue that's like even better. It's like, oh, here's a much better version. It's not even like a statue. The statue is car. It's a, it's a magnificent statue. And sure, we have societies that can do amazing things. We carve. We can carve amazing things. That's true. But God's kingdom is something different. It is completely different than the kingdoms and the in human institutions of the world. <clears throat> Just like Peter's living stones, the image here is of a special stone. It starts small. It's a stone not cut by human hands. He specifically says that. It's not made by humans. It's a special cornerstone. It starts, and it, because it starts small, like, a, like the cornerstone is the one piece of a larger building. The stone starts small, grows into a mountain. It's like God's kingdom. It's like when Jesus said the mustard seed. It starts, God's kingdom is like a mustard seed. It starts as the smallest seed, but it grows. A lot of people correlate this with Jesus, the fact that he's one man died on a cross. Um, and then, what, 100 people maybe received the Spirit in Pentecost, and now, 2,000 years later, there's, um, you know, more than a billion Christians around the world. This is a kingdom that grows, and it grows all over the world, underneath all and alongside all human institutions. It is a stone, and again, it's amazing. It's amazing how accurate these images uh, are made hundreds of years, even before Jesus. And God's kingdom is nothing like the kingdom in its likeness. It's something completely different, and its operations are also completely different. And so since there's no real immediate conflict between kind of the mundane governments of this world, which have their role, but they will all eventually crumble and blow away like chaff. And this is another important thing too. So obviously God's kingdom is greater. It's not, it's not a conflict. It's not like another statue comes along and they fight. It's the idea that, that they all crumble and turn to dust. It's more about the fact that they're transitory, that they're temporary. That's really what, what the point is. It, it's not that they're like against each other, God's kingdom versus this. It's that they're a different category. Kingdoms pass away. They blow away. It says, uh, what it says, all, it, it turns to like chaff, blows away. There's not even a trace remains. It's not like there's two feet, like sometimes that you see like the ancient ruins or something. There's no ruins of this statue, Okay. It completely passes away. God's kingdom, however, lasts forever. And Daniel declared that to King Nebuchadnezzar. They don't conflict with God's kingdom, these kingdoms of the world. God's kingdom exists to proclaim the excellencies of God in all situations, under all these human institutions. And so it naturally makes sense that we must honor our governments, because since they, their rules, their policies, their laws have no conflict with our purpose. And we, God can be served and his excellencies can be proclaimed no matter what the government is like. Whether it's a democracy, republic of some sort, a socialist government, kingdom, or even a dictator. As they had 
in his day when he wrote when when Peter wrote this as Christians we should honor and respect our government so here's a good litmus test and again this is just a test kind of to test your own heart this is not any kind of clear declaration political declaration but I think it's some interesting thought experiment for our situation here in Canada we live in a democratic society right democratic situ situation here um, and what is your as Christians what is our attitude towards democracy towards the laws of our land do you respect democracy do we as Christians respect democracy do you personally do you respect democracy are you subject to every the human institution of democracy because here we do have a version of democracy now this is super general speaking very simple and basic Generally speaking, democracy means the laws of the land should line up with what the majority of people want. That's, that's how it's supposed to work. The majority of people want something, that's how the laws should be formed. And there are different, often imperfect ways of achieving that, but that is at least the idea. So it's just a thought experiment, but as a Christian, do we honor democracy? If the majority of people in society want laws that do not line up with us, our, or your particular interpretation of what the Bible says is the right or correct way to order society, what is your opinion on that? I think there's a lot of, we have to watch ourselves because this, these ideas, they, they play out in our attitudes and our approaches towards other people. And as you guys know, we're, we're in a time right now where uh, pe people, there's a lot of arguing uh, about all different um, topics in society and politics definitely being, being one of them. Uh, not only in Canada, but all around the world. And uh, these topics come up. These situations come up. Would it be better? Is it like, yeah, I'm all for democracy, unless it conflicts with what I think is true, in which case we should abandon democracy and put in what, what, what God's law says and make everyone do that. It's just a thought experiment, but is that, is that being subject? to the human institution of democracy? It's a challenging question. There are many Christians for sure who would be, I've met them, I've, I've known a lot, and I see them on everywhere. It's not just a media thing, I run into them, I see them on, uh, uh, so, uh, you know. There are many Christians who would be challenged or offended at these ideas, right? This idea that we should be subject to democracy and honor all politicians in it, no matter what they stand for, what they say. You know, rather than try to go in there and change things forcefully. I want to go back, just in conclusion now, to First Peter, the passage we're looking at. So here we are at the beginning, be subject for the, for the Lord's sake, be subject for the Lord's sake to every human institution, whether it be the, to the emperor's supreme or to governors sent by him to punish those who do evil and praise those who do good. For this is the will of God, that by doing good, you should put to silence the ignorance of foolish people. I have a guess that this verse is often read in a different emphasis. I think a lot of people might read it, 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 for this is the will of God, that by doing good, you should put to silence the ignorance of foolish people. It's like, that's like the mission, like silence them. I don't think that that lines up with, with what Peter's actually saying here. The point he's making, for this is the will of God, that by doing good, you should put to silence the ignorance of foolish people. The ignorance of foolish people contrasted with proclaiming the excellencies of God. These two things are in contrast. Living your life in ignorance and whatever, who knows. And the proclaiming the, uh, the excellencies of God. Those contrast each other. How do we do it? We accomplish it by doing good. Not by fighting against 
the politics, not by enforcing laws, not by these other things, but it is by doing good. And in fact, if you do good, the previous verse, the governors, they punish those who do evil and praise those who do good. It's by doing good that we fulfill our mandate and that we fulfill our purpose and that we live our lives as, as Christian people in our society. And it's silly that modern-day Christians, we see them, they're so, can, and, 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 and it can happen in our own hearts, that we get so offended at different politics and the, the, the waves, the, the, you know, the, the flows of, human, of public opinion, of what people kind of want, and, and things which, again, they're transitory. They change over time. But we get so upset, we get so offended at what the ideas of other people in our society. It seems kind of ridiculous when you compare our society to the Roman empire the roman society how barbaric and brutal and difficult and how much suffering was involved which again we read about in first peter we're going to get more of that that they are under persecution and suffering in different ways and by any account but most people by almost any account any way of measuring our society is a hundred times you know nowadays more civil and, and 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 caring than those governments were back then but yet Peter calls for this action, even in their government, even in their situation. And yet today we still manage to find ways to be militant, offended, and divisive with each other and with, over the, these kind of topics. So again, just as conclusion, God's kingdom is not established like human institutions are. It's not just a better, more detailed, more correct, or nicer version of the statue. Okay? It's something completely different. It's something completely different and greater. And the various versions of human government, ultimately, ultimately in the end, they will be like dust and chaff. They don't last forever. It's not that they aren't important. Remember Monty Python? They are important. They offer all these things. Oh, government. We don't, right? Well, what about this? Well, this? Well, this? Well, this? Well, this? And the statue is a fine image. Absolutely. What does it say? It says something in it about how it's bright. It's bright and frightening. It's a magnificent image in the dream, in, in the metaphor. But it is transitory, ultimately, to confuse God's kingdom and the, with the kingdoms of the world is a category mistake. They are not the same thing. It's, it's to confuse them with the human institutions that we are called to be a subject to. So remember the statue. Remember Monty Python. You know, in the meantime, right now, governments are important. They are functional. You can work in government. Maybe you, are, you work in government. Maybe you know people who work in government. Absolutely, you are free to do that. There's a lot of ways. Honor and respect. It's a, it's a wonderful and noble calling like so many other callings are. We are free. But don't confuse and conflate the, the true purpose behind them. So let's go to the final verses again, which is the same verses we've been studying. Right, so you're free. Live as people who are free. But don't use your freedom as a cover-up for evil, but living as servants of God. And we call it, well, we call it public servant, right? If you're in politics. So live, at, absolutely live as people who are free. Honor everyone. Love the brotherhood. Fear God and honor the emperor. Yeah, so that's it.